open your Bibles to 1 Peter, chapter number 2. Yes, we are finally in chapter 2. I have a feeling chapter 2 will go a lot faster than chapter 1. In John chapter 15, Jesus used an illustration of a grapevine to help us to understand the relationship he wants us to have with him. Of course, this is the night that Jesus was betrayed, and then he was taken away the next day, and he was crucified. And he left the upper room at some point, and then he started walking. Before they got to the actual garden, they, uh, they, Jesus taught on John 15. And it, it could be, some speculate, it could be that they walked actually through an actual vineyard, a place where he could actually pointed to a vine and gave him gave them the illustration of of what it looks like to have a relationship with the Lord. And of course, the fruit that God wants us to have, the fruit pictured here in John 15, was that of love for one another. Jesus is the vine, we are the branches, and the fruit is that which loves people. In fact, he says in John 15, this is my commandment that you love one another. So Jesus wanted us to understand that the fruit of the Christian life should be a fruit of love for one another. If you have a bug flying around, just shoot away. It's not going to hurt you at all. It's okay. Sorry about that. We should have a, a love for one another, but that can't happen unless you are in Christ. You can't have a true love, Christian love for one another, unless you are, are nourished by the Lord. In fact, I, I thought, while we're out here outside, what a great time to do another illustration, right? Here we have a tree, and we have a trunk, and we have roots, and then we have branches, and then there's really no fruit except for maybe the leaves. But all of you over there are benefiting from that fruit, right? Because you're in the shade. Amen? And so you think about a tree like this. There's, there's the, the trunk and the roots that actually nourish the branches, and therefore they're able, to, they're able to have leaves. And so this is kind of the illustration that Jesus gives here to the disciples. Listen, you cannot have fruit. Those leaves cannot exist unless there's branches, and the branches must take from the trunk and the roots, and the trunk and the roots really nourish that. And so the illustration that Jesus gives there helps us to understand that we have to depend on him if we're going to have true love. And what is it that that trunk and those roots, what do they, what do they nourish the branches and the leaves with? Water, other nutrients that they, they pull from the ground? And what is what is it that God uses, that Christ uses to, to nourish us and then allow us to be able to produce the fruit of love? What is that? Well, we're going to see today it's actually the word of God. Jesus said, the conclusion of this in John 15, These words I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. So Jesus taught that the source of, of a joyful relationship with him is the word of God. And that's what we're going to see here in John or in 1 Peter chapter number 2 in verse 2. In fact, look down and notice the main word, the main command here in this section in verses 1 through 3 is found in verse 2. And he says, like newborn infants are to long for or desire or crave. That's the main command here. Long for the pure spiritual milk. So back in verse 22 of chapter 1, he said we're to love one another. And 
And that really describes the relationships that we should have with each other within the Christian church, the body of Christ. And here he talks about a relationship to God. And he says it's fed by the word of God. And what are we to long for in verse number two? What's he saying? It's the, the milk that comes from God. And we're going to learn today that that milk is actually the word of God. So what I believe he's describing here in verses one through three is the joyful fellowship and relationship that we are have to have with Christ. Look at verse three. He says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So you can see there's this, this enjoyable communion and fellowship we have with the Lord. And so I, didn't, I don't have a PowerPoint up here, and I don't have a piece of paper to hand out to you because both those things aren't able to happen in this environment. So I'm just going to tell you my four points. If you want to write them down now or wait till we go through them, you can. We're going to look at four aspects of a joyful fellowship that we are to have in the Lord. So we're going to look at four aspects of joyful fellowship that we are to have in the Lord. And in verse 1, to joyful fellowship. That's going to be relational sin. Verse number 2, we're going to see the means of joyful fellowship. That's the word of God. And then in verse number 2, we're also going to see the results of joyful fellowship. That's spiritual growth. And then last of all, we're going to see that we're to have the pleasure of this fellowship, and that is still on okay sounds good sometimes i can't hear myself so it's okay let's do this let's stand up and read first peter chapter number two verses one through three so stand with me as i read the word of the lord out loud our theme for our songs was the word of god our theme for our message here is the word of god and so now we're going to read the words of the lord first peter chapter number one verse two the bible says so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let's ask God to bless the preaching of his word this morning. Father, we are asking for your Holy Spirit to move in our midst. Take this word and do what you promised, and that is water our hearts. May the seed of the word of God spring up in us. I pray we will all have this desire that this text speaks about this morning, desire for your milk of the word, desire for the word of God to come into our life. May we have the results that your word talks about. May we all grow a little bit more today in our understanding, but also in our obedience. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. This past week, I was reading about the need that each person has for relationships, for interpersonal relationships. During a time like this with COVID-19, we are, many are isolated, and I was reading about how it's affecting people, how it's affecting people socially, how it's affecting them even physically. In fact, I read this article uh, by, or actually an article that spoke about a guy named Arthur Aaron, a professor of psychology at New York's Stony Brook University. He said, relationships are enor enormously important for our health. He's talking about our physical health. There are lots of studies 
on the biological processes that account for the link between relationships and our health. And then another study that was cited is the Life Science Foundation at the University of Minnesota said that a person who has poor relationships or no relationships is a person who's going to have a weaker immune system and poor health in general. In other words, we all need relationships in our world, <laughs> in our society, in order to have healthy, physical, healthy lives. But the scriptures actually teach that we also need relationships for spiritual health. It's not possible to have a spiritually healthy life and do that in isolation. And obviously, if you're physically sick, please be isolated. But in general, in life, we need each other. And if we don't, our community suffers. And when community suffers, we suffer spiritually. In fact, actually, the interesting thing about the scriptures when it teaches about relationships is that your relationship to other people is connected to your relationship with God. If you have broken relationships with each other, then you have a broken relationship with God. You, you can't separate the two out. In fact, that's why he starts in verse number one here, listing all these sins that relate to relational sins, things that you, how you sin against another person. And so first, he talks about the hindrances to a joyful relationship with the Lord. So he says, verse one, put off all these things, all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. If you look at verse one, it starts off with the word so, or if you have a translation, another translation, it might say, therefore. In the first word, so or therefore, it should redirect our attention to the previous verses. And what did he talk about in the previous verses at the end of chapter one? What did he talk about? Love for one another. And so we, we, we learned that one of the purposes of our salvation is so that we would love one another. You have spiritual life so you could love one another. It's one of the reasons God gave you salvation. And so it makes sense that if we don't fulfill what God has for us, if we're not truly loving one another, then it's going to hinder our relationship with God because then we're, therefore we're living in rebellion to the Lord. So, so before you can have sweet fellowship with the Lord, you have to evaluate your relationships with other people. And if these characteristics are in your life, you have to rid your life of them. In fact, if you look at the, the word he says there, he says, put away. It's, it's actually not a command in the original language. It's a participle. The main command is to long for the word of God. But, it but putting away is something that must happen first if you're going to obey the command, right? If you're going to obey, obey the command to long for the word, you have to first put these things away. It's kind of like pre-COVID when you had parties and your kids would come home with bags of, of candy. That might be the one redeeming thing about COVID is kids aren't coming home with a bunch of candy anymore. No one's allowed to pass anything out to each other. But try to think, look for the good things, right? Okay. But, you know, kids come home with these bags of candy and then their mom makes this amazing meal and it's got vegetables and fruit and some meat or whatever. And it's a great meal. And so the kids come home with the candy. What do they want to do? They don't eat the candy. Of course, the parents take it and hide it away and, and they say that uh, we'll keep it for another time, which means basically at night they can eat it themselves. But imagine this kid taking this candy, plopping it on his plate right there. His mom has a spread of food. And she's going to say to him, like, you need to eat the food on the table. Like, you need to eat nutritious food. And that's, the, if you could say, the command that she has. But therefore, what does that mean then? Well, first, he needs to get rid of the 
candy. He needs to get rid of the junk food. In other words, if he's going to nourish his body, he's got to get rid of that candy on his plate so that he can actually obey the command to eat the food that his mother has made for him. That's kind of the picture you have here. Except I don't think it's just junk food he's talking about here in verse 1. I think it's actually like poisonous food. Like This is actually going to kill you spiritually if you allow these things to stay in your life. So notice verse 1, the first one he says, here's these relational sins that hinder your relationship with God. He says, first, put away malice. Malice is the word uh, sometimes translated evil. It speaks of doing evil towards someone, maybe in word or in deed. Actually, if you look down in verse 16, 1 Peter 2, 16, you can see a, a form of this word malice. In that verse there, it says, live as people who are free, so speaking to Christians, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil or malice. And really, the context here is speaking of how the world treats the authorities that are over them. And so how, how does a person typically treat an authority over them, especially if they disagree? Well, they speak evil of that person. Sometimes they retaliate with evil. And that's pretty much what's happening if we watch the news, which I wouldn't recommend that. But <laughs> if you do that, you watch it, you can see that's what pe- people disagree with. The authorities, so they either speak evil of them, or sometimes they actually physically are violent and hostile. But it's the mentality of the world, which if you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. I don't get mad, I get even. That's right. That's the idea of the world. That's not Christian love. That's not agape, sacrificial, brotherly love that God wants us to have for each other. That's the exact opposite. But the truth is, this is speaking in context about the church here in in verses 1 through 3, right? So, it, actually, this kind of evil happened within the church, right? Someone hurts me. Someone doesn't include me. Something does, someone does something to me. And so I'm going to respond to them in a way that hurts them. I might not physically hurt them, but maybe I'll exclude them. Or maybe I won't talk to them. I'm going to punish them in some way to get back at them. And it's the idea of malice right there. Now, now how does the Bible... Or what does the Bible instruct us to do when someone has malice or evil towards us? Well, Paul says in Romans 12, 21, do not be overcome by evil or malice, but overcome malice with good. So that idea that I don't get mad, I get even is actually wrong. It's actually I don't get mad. I do good to people. I don't return with malice. I do good. And so there's the idea of malice there. And so sometimes in our church, in a church like ours, in a setting like ours, we can have people hurt us and we can be tempted with malice and that will hurt our relationship with God and then second he uses the word deceit and deceit is a word that means to trick or to misrepresent it's a word that's used of the religious leaders when they plotted to uh, to, to kill Jesus the Bible says in Matthew chapter 26 or 4 that the religious leaders plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth or the word actually is deceit so they plotted to, to have Jesus be murdered by their own deceit. But it's interesting, if you look down in verse 22, look at down in 1 Peter 2.22, the Bible says, describing Jesus, that he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. So, so the religious leaders, they responded to Jesus with deceit. They had an agenda. They had something they wanted. To How were they going to get it done? They were going to mislead. They are going to misrepresent so they could get what they wanted. How did Jesus get what he wanted done? He didn't manipulate. He didn't lie. Jesus actually submitted his heart to the Father. He spoke the truth. 
and he responded in a submissive way to his father. So we're not to respond to people deceit. Next, the next word he uses is hypocrisy. And interesting enough, this is the same word. If you look down uh, chapter 1, verse 22, it's used in the positive in verse 22. It says we're not to have um, unhypocritical, or we are to have unhypocritical love or sincere. That's the word uh, for hypoc- uh, for not having hypocrisy. It's a positive word. He puts it that way. It's being sincere. And then if you look down, uh, look back in our verse, in verse uh, 1 of chapter 2, it's in the negative. It's the word hypocrisy, or, to, or you could say it this way, being insincere. So you, you see kind of the parallels. He's saying we should have sincere love for one another. We shouldn't live in hypocrisy, insincere love. And so th- this is the idea that you that you um, put on a mask and you make something seem like it's not, which is not how God wants us to have relationship with one another. If, if we have relationships like that with one another, it actually hinders, again, our relationship with God. Then he uses two other words, envy and slander here. Envy is the idea that someone uh, has something good happen to them. And when you see that or you hear about that, you have displeasure towards that. In other words, you don't rejoice in the good happening to other people. You actually wish that could happen to yourself, you know. So you're maybe scrolling through something or you hear about something. And automatically when you hear that, you don't go, wow, good for them. You think, well, I wish I had that for myself. That's the idea of envy here. And slander is evil's uh, is envy's evil sister. You're envious of them, like you wish you could have that, or they have something you wish you could have, and therefore you're going to try to verbally destroy them. And slander is something that is common with Christians, isn't it? It's something that we all, if you could say this way, we all struggle with all these. But there's the sense where this is probably one of the one uh, sins that really do destroy of Jesus Christ, when people start speaking evil of other people and seeking to hurt certain people and cut other people down. And what's the idea? You, you cut someone down for what purpose? So you can lift yourself up, right? Isn't that the purpose of slander? And, and that's not love, is it? That's not sacrificial, self-denying love. That's actually exalting yourself. It's putting yourself in the place of Christ. Can Christians have these type of desires in a lovely church like Lighthouse Bible Church? The answer is yes, because otherwise Peter wouldn't be writing this to us, and the Lord wouldn't have had this for us. These attitudes and actions, these words, they can devastate churches like ours because they destroy our love for one another and therefore destroy destroy our love for God. I think it's important, before we move on from this, to have us all just evaluate our hearts, because if I talked through one of those right there and you thought, ooh, yeah, that's me, maybe in a particular area, or maybe just in general, it's good for you just to say, right now, I'm going to go before the Lord. And so let me just encourage you right now. If the Lord has convicted your heart about something like that, before we move on to describe what a relationship with Christ looks like, it's probably good for you to bow your head right now and just go before the Lord, confess that, and consider what steps you need to take to restore that. Because you can't have sweet fellowship with So first, he presents the hindrances of to fellowship, and that's relational sin. And then second, he describes the means of enjoying fellowship. That's my second point. He describes the means of enjoying fellowship, which is the word of God. Look at verse 2. He says, like newborn infants long for the pure milk of the word. Am I needing to do something? Is this not working? 
Do I need to? I can use the handheld. You want me to use the handheld? Okay, here we go. Now, can, can you hear me now? Wait. That seems like I wasn't being heard the whole time. <laughs> I was? Okay. Start over. Well, I'm just, I'll just say it like this. If you have sin in your life, you're not going to have a good relationship with God. Point number two. Okay, look at verse two. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. Peter uses this illustration of a newborn infant who is singularly focused on one thing. What is that? Yeah, food. This baby wants to eat. There's really three things that babies do, inf newborn infants do. They sleep, they go to the bathroom, and they eat. That's pretty much it. And there's two of those that a father really can help with. I, like when I, my children were little infants, you know, we could, I could hold them in the middle of the night, two o'clock in the morning. They're tired. They just need to be rocked to sleep. I could do that. Or if they had a blowout, well, maybe I couldn't do that one. Well, at least that's what I said at the time. No, just kidding. But a father could help with that, right? But there's one thing that only a mother can do. And that is if it's three o'clock in the morning and that baby's hungry, the mother is the one who can satisfy that baby. And that's the picture that he has for us here, this, this singular focus, this desire for the word of God. So we, we're to have this desire. Like a baby desires that milk to be nourished by it. It's just a natural desire. We as Christians have this natural desire. We need, we want God to nourish our souls. In fact, if we keep following this analogy, it's not just because we crave it. It's actually something that, is necessary for our survival, right? A baby can't survive if it doesn't have its mother's milk. I mean, think about that. There are places in the world where you, you can't get formula, you can't have a substitute. If, if a baby doesn't have the milk of his mother, it's actually going to die, right? And if you ever lived on a farm or went to a farm, you can see that with there's a baby that's neglected, a little uh, animal that's neglected, and the mother you know, rejects it, that baby ends up being the runt and maybe dies unless the person takes it in. But, but there's no baby formula, if you want to say it that way, in the Christian life. There's only one thing that can nourish our soul, and that is the word of God. I think we must confess as Christians, and really the whole world, but we all look for something else besides God's word to nourish our soul, souls, don't we? We all have, have worldly means by which we say, oh, I'm feeling restless, I'm feeling empty. What, what can I do to, to have this peace in my heart, to feel fulfilled in my life when your soul feels empty what is the source of the uh, of your worldly nourishment S some people they they turn to a good movie right very rare there's good movies out there but maybe turn to you're like I, I i'm so stressed out what do i need to do i need to watch a movie or some people they like to go to the prison of their phone that was a little harsh wasn't it but, you know, you look around in society, this is everyone, you know, walking, I don't have my phone on me, but everyone's walking around like this, you know, and it's like they're in this prison of their phone. And, and, but in some sense, there's, there's safety in that, especially if you're in a big group of people, you don't want to talk to people. It's like I can sit there on my phone, I can just play games with the person across the room, not talking to them. There's a sense of, in some, in some sense, satisfaction in my soul that I'm trying to get, or security. Some people, it's nonstop working. Some, it's shopping. Some, it's get the alcohol and, 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 and dull the pain in my life. We can go to other sources to find satisfaction for our souls, but in the end, those things won't satisfy. Not all those things are bad things, but they won't satisfy. And some of those things actually cause us to be, to be di more distant from God. But none of those things will actually draw you closer to God. 
we need to be fed by God himself in order for our soul to be filled up. So the question, therefore, is what is that thing that fills up our soul? What does God use to bring, give us the joy and the satisfaction that he provides? Well, down in verse number two, if you have an ESV translation, you might be hearing me talk about the word of God. You might be thinking, well, I don't see what that thing is. It just says pure spiritual milk. So look at verse two. It says that we are like newborn infants to long for the pure spiritual milk. So what is the milk? Well, it's interesting. If you look at that word in the Greek, it's actually a, a definite article in front of that. So you could read it like this, that we are to long for the milk that is pure and spiritual. In other words, there's, there's something, there's the thing that God has for us that nourishes our soul. And I'm convinced that this is actually the word of God here. Now, if you have another translation, if you have the New King James or CSB or NASB, it probably says the word. And they're interpreting a little bit there because actually the, the actual word logos is not actually in that uh, verse right there. But so, so the question is, what is the, the milk of the word? Well, I believe it actually is the word of God. And here's a couple of reasons. First of all, in the scriptures, when you find something that's going to nourish your soul, the Bible uses the, or the scriptures speaks of itself as being the nourishment for our soul. Let me just read a couple of verses and listen to what the Bible says about itself and how it actually feeds us. Psalm 19.7, the law of the Lord is perfect. And what does it do? Revives the soul. Psalm 19.10, but the word of God is more to be desired are they, that's the words of God, than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. So the word of God is like sweet honey, and it actually sweet to the taste, and it satisfies the soul. Psalm 119, 103, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Jeremiah 15, 16, your words were found. And this is Jeremiah speaking the prophet. He's saying, I ate them. And your words became to me joy and the delight of my heart. So what brought joy and delight to his heart, to his inner person? It was the words of God. So I think the, the scriptures in general, we could go on and on, by the way, with that. They speak of God's word actually being the source of nourishment and a fulfillment and joy in my soul. And then actually, I believe the context here of, of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, actually helps us to understand that this milk is the word of God. This is the Greek word for spiritual there, or if you have uh, another translation that uses the word, it's logikon. And it's a difficult word to translate because there's only actually two examples or two uses of this word in the New Testament. And, and it basically, the translation is either spiritual or rational. Uh, some people translate, again, like I said, the word, so you to desire the milk of the word. And, and the idea kind of behind that is that there's something that's spiritual that feeds your soul. And so, like I said, they're concluding, and therefore, that is the word of God. Okay, so anyways, all I have to say is I, I believe that this is speaking about God's word. In fact, look back in verse 22, and I think this would kind of be the clincher on this. Peter speaks of, in verse 22, of our souls being purified. Right? You see that in verse 22? And then look at verse 23. He speaks of our souls being born again. And what is it that causes our souls to be born again? It's the word of God. And then look at the very end of 
this chapter and look at verse number 25. It says, and the word is the good news that was preached to you. And then he launches, therefore, into chapter two. And so the word of God was the seed that came into our heart that brought us new life. So the word brings us life and the word sustains our life. And so it makes sense that which brought us to life is actually that which is going to sustain our souls, our our lives. And so, again, that's why I believe that he's talking about that right here. So God wants our souls to be fed with the milk of the word of God. So I think it's a good time to ask. Do you feel satisfied in your soul? And think about think about yourself. Just ignore the papers going around. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Think about this past week. Does your soul feel satisfied? Or you can pick them up either way. It doesn't matter. Let's let's give them a round of applause for serving the Lord like that. That's good. Thank you. Or not. Do you still feel satisfied with God? I think it's a good it's a good good question to ask our hearts. Or those are good questions to ask our hearts because I think we have times where we feel empty, don't we? You have times when you end a day or you end your week and you think, I really had a really empty week spiritually. I felt I feel spiritually dry. So the question is, why is that the case? And, and so I, I guess that's you know, the question you should, you should answer in your heart. Do you feel that way? And if you say yes, then the question you got to ask next is, why is that the case? And I think there's really three possible reasons. One, it could be that there's some kind of spiritual uh, desire, sinful desire that's holding you back. You have some kind of malice or lust or sinful desire in your heart. It's okay. Uh, it's okay. Don't worry about it. It could be that there, you're, maybe you're neglecting the word of God. Maybe you're just withholding. Uh, you're neglecting that time that you're going to spend with the Lord. Or it could be that you're replacing God's word with something else. And so I think it's good for you to evaluate that. And why is it that you feel that way? It's because it's somewhat related to God's word and what you're doing with God's word. In fact, look down at the, another adjective he uses for God's word there. The milk is also pure. This speaks of the quality of something. In this context, it, speak, it speaks to the purity of, of something, the spiritual value and the nutritional value that it, it gives to someone. And so here, the Bible is speaking of the fact that it is, it is pure. It's, it's what's going to be the thing that's going to give us the nourishment that our souls actually need. We need the pure nourishment that fills us up spiritually. And what is it that we go to just in Christianity when we want to be nourished? I mean, I think sometimes positively we go to commentaries, right? We want to understand a scripture, so we open up a commentary. As a pastor, I do that on a regular basis. Sometimes we have devotionals that we go to. We, you know, we want to understand a certain verse, or we want uh, to understand how we can apply something, so we go to a devotional. Sometimes we go to a book, and that maybe helps us to understand theological themes, other things like that. And let me just say, those are all good things. Those aren't bad things. I think you should be doing that. Those things, though, aren't what God uses to nourish your soul. I think we have to be careful when we consider what we're going to uh, use to, to, uh, to find spiritual satisfaction. And, and sometimes we can go to those things, and if, and if you can— 
uh, in some sense, get up in the morning or at night and have your time with the Lord and you uh, go to those sources, you don't go to God's word, you might find yourself spiritually starving. Because those sources aren't the word of God. They may talk about the word of God, but what you actually your soul needs is the word of God. We have a, a resource that sometimes is, is put out here. Of course, it's not worth us being outside, but it's the daily bread. And so a lot of people use that. And I just want to encourage you. It's a great thing to read. It's a good thing to apply, to know how to apply some of the things to your life. But please, please don't use that as a replacement for your devotional time in the word of God. That is not the word of God. And it might have a little verse at the top and gives a little idea, but you actually need, as a Christian, to say, I need to drink straight from the pure milk of the word. And you might, you might be in here and you might say, well, I, I don't, Pastor Ben, I don't know how to do that. You know what? That's okay. You can, we can have people that can help you with that. We have elders. I'd love to sit down with you and talk to you about that. You might be like, well, I'm, I'm like 60 years old. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I'm kind of embarrassed. Well, now's the time to learn, right? Let me just encourage you. Every one of us at Lighthouse Bible Church should be sustaining our souls by the word of God. So based upon 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, I can confidently say if you're not feeding your soul with the word of God, you are spiritually starving yourself. So the means of enjoying fellowship is the word of God. And then third, Peter taught that the results of enjoying fellowship is spiritual growth. Look at verse 2. He says, like newborn Infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. So the results of feeding on the word is that you grow up spiritually. And so you see, he says we're to grow up into salvation. What is that talking about? What does it mean to go to grow up into salvation? Well, hopefully after this series that has lasted for a number of weeks, you know what? salvation is right that was the first 12 verses of first peter chapter one and then we've looked the past couple weeks about how to live out that salvation and so salvation is something god has given to us and something we're to live out salvation should change us i mean just a quick review go back to verse 13 it should change how we think verse verse 15 it should change how we behave we should be more and more holy it should change in verse 17 our motives why we do what we do and in verse 22 it should change should change our purposes, and that is our relationships with other people. And what you see, actually, from verse 13 all the way down to chapter 2, verse 3, you see, I believe, a picture of Jesus Christ here. This is the whole person, your thoughts, your motives, your actions. This is, in other words, what is spiritual growth into salvation? It's becoming more like Jesus Christ. What I think he gives here is this, this is a picture of Christ. Like, we are to be more and more like Jesus Christ. And that actually is what spiritual growth is. Spiritual growth is growing to be more and more like Christ in how we think. We're supposed to be having the Holy Spirit through the Word of God change our motives, change our actions. We should be more and more separated unto Christ throughout our life. In fact, would you do something with me? Go to Second Peter chapter 1. I think it's interesting how Peter starts off both his epistles with this idea that we need to change to be like Jesus Christ. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse number 3, he says, 2 Peter 1, 3 says that God has given us divine power. So there's supernatural, Holy Spirit power. He's granted to give us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So the Holy Spirit gives us the power to be able to change 
to be godly. And what is godliness? It's being Godward. That's what Jesus was. Jesus was Godward. He was, he was a person who lived in submission to his father. And then he says what? Through the knowledge of him. That's the knowledge of Jesus. Where do we find the knowledge of Jesus? In the word of God. So here in this one little verse, he's like, listen, God has given us supernatural power to change us to be more godly, and it's done through the Holy Scriptures. And then what's interesting is look down in verse number seven. He goes to these qualities of Jesus. This is what these, these are the qualities you should have in your life. These are the virtues you should have in your life. In verse seven, he says, we should have godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly love, and brotherly love, we should have brotherly affection with what? With agape love. Isn't it interesting that that's what he talked about in chapter 1 of 1 Peter chapter 1? In other words, here's, that, here's the conclusion of the power of God in your life with the word of God changing you. It's that you would love one another and it would change your loves. In other words, you would be more like Jesus Christ. So we'll go back to 1 Peter chapter number 2. Growing up into salvation, therefore, means that you are changing to be more and more like Jesus every day. And the grand conclusion of that is what? You love one another. Your love for one another should be, should grow. Your love for God should grow. God wants each one of us to be growing up into salvation. What does this mean? This means your spiritual growth is more than just faithfully coming to church. Right? It means that it should go beyond that. It should change how we think. It should change what we what we want. It should change what we do. It should change our habits. It should change how we interact interact with one another. After the first two months of being closed up in COVID, we didn't see each other for a while, unless you posted pictures on social media. But when we came back together, I don't know about you, but I saw some of these little ones, and I went, wow, these kids are growing up. Like two months, you see the difference, right? What did those kids do to grow up in two months? They just kept eating. <laughs> and sometimes we even looked at each other as adults, and we're like, wow, you've grown out. <laughs> that's not good growing right there, though. That's, that's bad growing. So, But just like physical growth happens because you eat, spiritual growth happens when you feast on the word of God. And it's something that's progressive, right? And we don't really see our kids growing if we're living with them because we see it every day. But over a period of time, you say, wow, this is, they've, they've grown this tall. They've gained this much weight or whatever it is. They're, this is happening. This is a good thing that's happening. Th actually, there's that, that same analogy should carry over to the Christian life. Like, think about the very beginning of COVID. What's that? I don't even know that. March 9th, March 2020, right? Think about the very beginning of that. How many months ago was that? How have you changed spiritually since the beginning of COVID? I think some the, the world's mentality is, let's just all get through this. <laughs> let's just all get through this. Once this is over, then we can go back to normal, okay? And so, so people like have been wasting their life, many people just watching movies and TV shows and just kind of waiting for life to get over. That's not us as Christians. We should, we should have real change that has taken place in our life over the past few months. We should be able to look back and say, Okay, this is how God has changed me and how I think and how I, how, how, I, uh, how, I, how I act towards other people and what I believe about this area. Like, God should be changing us. This should be something that's happening. There should be this progressive change. I think, honestly, this idea that we're growing should give us hope. 
we want our lives to be like Jesus Christ like that. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but I can be frustrated. Like, why do I want that? Why do I think that way? Why do I act that way? I don't like that, you know. But we actually can take hope in the fact that God, he will continue the work of growing us. In fact, the, the word grow there is a passive. It's something God does to us. It's his work within us. God is doing this work within us. And, and we will change. If we're committed to, to the word of God and to submitting our hearts to the Holy Spirit, God will change us. When I was at this camp a week and a half ago, I was speaking to a young man, and he was discouraged. He was working through some things, and he said, he said well, I have people that basically tell me I'm going to be like my dad when I grow up. Well, the problem is his dad was a pretty bad guy. As he kind of felt like it was determinative that he was going to be like his dad, you know, because maybe he looked like his dad and probably acted like him in some ways. And so people are like, you're going to turn out like your dad. And, and the truth is, in the natural world, that probably generally happens. But that doesn't happen in the supernatural world. It doesn't have to happen, I should say. And so I, I told this young man, like, if you're a child of God, then guess what? That doesn't have to be your destiny. You can be like Jesus. You don't have to be like that and that's actually the encouragement the hope that we have that god can change us and what's what's our responsibility in this can we cause ourselves to grow nope but we can do we can be faithful to do what god wants us to do what which is what we can read his word we can ingest the word of god we can listen to the word of god we can study the word and then we can obey it by faith trust him over the past two years I've been here and then years as at the church previously I was able to I've been able to mentor and disciple a lot of young men and I've really enjoyed doing that but sometimes guys come into things like uh, to programs like this and especially the church I was at previously had a lot of guys that were in college and there's some rough ideas they have you know some maybe some maybe beliefs about certain theological things you're kind of like yeah it's a little extreme maybe a little hard on maybe a little out there on that one, or even some character issues. And but one of the things that I would tell these guys, and I think I've pretty much told every guy that's been here at our program here, is like, if you're committed to God's word, I'm convinced that God will change you. If you're committed to the word and committed to submitting to the Holy Spirit, you can change it. I've had times where people have come to me, um, especially the church I was at previously, because sometimes the internships, we'd have these guys living in someone's home, and you kind of see everything when that happens. And, you know, very frustrated, you know, this person is like this, this person. And I guess my encouragement then is this, is that, and this is what I would tell them, this, this you know, older person, I would say, you know what, I'm convinced that God can change them. Like, they don't have to be that way the rest of their life. If they're submitted to the word of God, and they say they are, if they're, if they're growing by the word of God. And so, I, I, and the, the neat thing is, actually, I've seen God do that in people's lives. And it's what the cool thing about that is, is when you work with someone over a period of a couple months or especially a couple years, and then you, you, you know, you're on this side of it, the end of it, and you look back and you go, wow, look how God changed that person. And, and what was it? Was it because there's a great disciple in their life or discipler in their life? Is that why? No. Is it because someone had some great words of wisdom to give to them? No. It's because of this, because God's word changes people. And the hope we can have for God's word changing us and changing other people is found right here. God is the one who causes us to grow through the word of God. And then fourthly, the results of enjoying the Lord through his word is spiritual growth. There's a little breeze coming. 
and all God's people said, amen for that. That's right. Look at verse 2. I'm sorry, look at verse 3. He says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And in verse 3, the idea if actually is more of since. Since you've tasted, the Lord is good. So you are to desire the milk of the word since you've already tasted of God's goodness. And notice how he keeps this analogy of, of milk and infants, and you're, you're tasting something, and you're tasting, what is it? It's God's goodness. And when, when is the first time that you've tasted of the goodness of God? When you became a believer, right? When you trust in the Lord, you, you're like, wow, look at what God has given to me. In fact, in fact, just think about that time when you came to Christ. If you're a believer, think about the time you came to Christ and just think of the change that God did in your heart. Maybe, maybe you had a lot of other things that changed over time, but I mean, as far as like how you just were so amazed about the, go the goodness of God in your life. I don't know if you've talked to Norm very much, but we have this, uh, what is it, Wednesday meeting you, he comes to with these guys that we're doing intern an internship with. And, and Norm, all the time, he's saying, oh, I just can't believe I'm saved. I can't believe God's so good to me, you know? That's, that's kind of attitude, honestly, I think we all should have, and I appreciate that attitude. But that's kind of what he's, he's saying here. He's like, look back, think about when you first tasted, you first tasted of that, that milk of the word. Now, look at verse 25. When did that happen? Or, or I should say chapter 1, verse 25. When did that take place? He says, the word is the good news that was preached to you. So they, they heard the good news. They believed in it. That's when they first tasted of it. So we taste of God's goodness when we hear and respond in, re respond in face, faith. And then he's basically saying, remember that and allow that to motivate you to go back to the word of God. If, if the word of God is what brought the goodness of God to you, then where should you go if you want to experience the goodness of God? And we can sit out here in nature and be like, oh, isn't God good? And it's good. Like, it's good. No, this is beautiful out here. It's wonderful. But can I tell you, it's going to be somewhat of an artificial experience to just look at nature and see God's goodness. If you're not looking in God's word, because God's word is where the real goodness of God is manifested and displayed. So, you know, you can sing all the songs you want to sing. You can, you can stand on mountaintops and look at God's nature and stuff. And you can experience a little bit of God's goodness in your heart. But if you really want to feel, if you want to say it that way, feel the goodness of God, go to the word of God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And that's actually the text that, that Carl read this morning. And that's the text he's quoting here. That's in Psalm chapter 34. And interesting, uh, Peter actually quotes that text a couple of times in his epistles. I kind of wonder if that was a favorite psalm for Peter. Peter had some pretty low points in his life, didn't he? Think about Peter looking back on his life when he denied the Lord and, and even decided to walk away from following him and go back to fishing. And so here's Peter looking back upon the Lord's teaching. And he says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And that memory pushes him, therefore, back to to taste of the Lord and the word of God. I kind of wonder if Peter had times when he just thought back to his time with Christ and remembered the words of Christ. And, and you could say it this way, tasted again, like thought of the taste of those words and thought, I want to go back to the word of God. Taste and see the Lord is good. So I think he, what he's doing here is he's saying, listen, your relationship with God, there's, there's a measure of pleasure that should be there, and it comes through what? 
the word of God. So once again, joyful fellowship with Christ is found as we drink from his word. Let me conclude with these four questions to ask you to consider here this morning. Are there relational sins in your life that are hindering you from enjoying your fellowship with Christ? You could be a, a young person, a teenager, could be older, maybe you have some problem with someone else. Is there something that's hindering your relationship with Christ? Second question, are you longing for and being satisfied with the word of God each day? Are you drinking from the word of God and longing for that? Third question, how are you or how have you spiritually grown this year? If you can't see any change in your heart, again, it points to maybe something going on in your life that you need to probably consider and maybe get some help in. But there's hope that you can still change. Like there's a, there's a couple more months left of this year. <laughs> and you can grow. You go to the word. And the last question, are you finding your joy and satisfaction as you taste the goodness of God in the word of God? And hopefully when we go through times like this in God's word, it, it, brings, it brings joy to your heart because it brings Christ to your heart. And that's kind of the point of God's word. We are like this tree right here. We're like the branches. Christ is the trunk. He's the roots. And he brings the nourishment to us to be able to produce the fruit of love for one another. And what is that nourishment? It's the words of May we be committed to desiring and being satisfied with the word of God. Let's pray. As I conclude in prayer, I always think it's important to ask for those who are without Christ to consider him this morning. And so maybe you're listening on live stream. Maybe you're in here or out here right now. And you think, I, I'm not satisfied. I don't have this joy in my heart. And listen, Christ's word can, can come into your life. He can save you from your sins, and he can bring the joy of Christ to you. And so I invite you to repent of your sin and turn to Christ here this morning. And Christian, I encourage you in your seat to talk to the Lord. If there is something between you and someone else, would you talk to the Lord about that? And then, if you truly desire God's word, ask him to help you to grow in that desire and in your obedience to the word. Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful as a pastor that I don't have to look within myself to feed people here. I don't have to try to figure out some gimmick to cause people to grow. The, the souls of people here don't depend upon me to, to give nourishment. Actually, your word is the amazing supernatural gift of grace to us that causes us to grow. And, and my role as a pastor is to be faithful, to teach it, to proclaim it, to shepherd the church in that, to feed the church in that. And so I pray for us this morning, may we grow by means of what we talked about this morning. 
I know that there's times in my life and there's times with many of us here where we feel empty. And so, Lord, I ask that you would help us as a church. Give us grace not to run to the, the worldly pleasures, which really don't bring true pleasure. Help us not to run to, to the sinful um, desires that we have, as verse 1 talked about. But help us to run to you and to glean from your word. May we be nourished in our souls, filled up in our souls with the word of God. May our church, may we as Lighthouse Bible Church be known as a people who are filled with the Bible, filled with the word of God. And I pray you'll change us. Individually, we need to change. But God, even as a church, I, I hope, God, through this whole COVID crisis that we're going through, that we're changing even as a church. Maybe um, we're becoming more passionate in our love for you and and our love for other people and reaching out to people. So I pray that you will change us even as a corporate group of people. May we be more like Christ. We are the bride. We believe we're the bride of Christ. We believe as the bride of Christ, Christ, you are washing us with the word, as Ephesians chapter 5 says. So may we allow that to happen. And then, God, I, I pray for maybe someone sitting here that's not a believer, maybe someone in the church says they're part of the church and not a believer. I pray that, God, you will expose that in their own heart to see that. And I pray that maybe they'll be exposed to all of us. Not because we want to hurt them, but because we want them to enjoy the sweet fellowship of Christ. And I imagine there's there's some that are here that are just oppressed by sin. They're just weighted down with that sin in their life that's really just beating them up, as we're going to learn about later on. This It's the the fleshly desires that wage war against the soul, and it doesn't have to be that way, Lord. It doesn't have to be that way. You can set them free. Your word is truth, and your truth is what sets us free. So I pray for freedom for them, God. Change that person by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.